Hi, welcome to Office Hours, a podcast presented by College Fashionista. It's your host, Amy Living Klein here. Today's guest, Lauren Gores, launched a skincare line, Summer Fridays, that flew off the shelves in minutes. I had the chance to talk to this newscaster, turn blogger, turn beauty guru, and learn more about her career. Lauren takes us on the journey, starting all the way back from her college days at Indiana University, my alma mater. In this episode, you will learn everything from face masks to college majors to the importance of networking. Hey guys, so I'm here with Lauren Gores, um, also a fellow IUer, which is so awesome to see. Uh, grads yeah. from IU doing amazing <laughs> things. So Lauren, you studied journalism and political science at IU, right? I did. I studied both journalism and political science. I was super laser focused on a single dream that was basically to be Oprah because who doesn't want to be Oprah? Um, <laughs> but I really, I mean, I really wanted to be a newscaster at that time. I wanted to do it on a national level. I wanted to cover everything from lifestyle pieces to political races. And I spent a lot of time working, I mean, really solely on that. I took a lot of internships in that field. Um, and my first job was as a broadcaster, I literally went to like the middle of Missouri, um, but in a town that I loved, it was Columbia, Missouri, and I got my first job at an ABC station there. You know, especially at that point, you kind of had to go wherever you could go to get that first job on camera. Um, and so I was really excited about getting this job. My family thought I was completely insane for moving to the middle of nowhere for this, for yeah. this job, but it was something that I was really excited about it. And it was on camera and I was going to be a reporter and an anchor so it, it really taught me a lot about moving far from home, putting myself in a new experience. And then I st- ended up staying in Missouri for about three and a half years. Wow. Um, so it was it was kind of a crazy journey, but I really did love it. And you kind of like made a little life for yourself there. Three years is a commitment. I did. And, you know, when you're in Missouri and you're a news anchor, you kind of end up being like the star of that small town. Yeah, you're famous. <laughs> because it's very different from being. Yeah, exactly. So it was a direction that I thought I would stay in for a little bit longer than I did, but I, I wound up um, working for another company that was more digitally focused and then moved out to LA. And then the directory kind of changed a little bit um, from there. Yeah. So let's go back to Indiana. Do you feel like your major in your experience at IU set you up for your first job or was it more just like your personality and kind of hyper-focused? I mean, I think it, I definitely think what I studied is what set me up to even get that first job um, because I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the skills to be able to do the job without majoring in what I did. And I kind of say, I mean, I look back and I think even like the biggest takeaway from that is to really indulge in the experience of college um, and whatever your first job may be and being away from home, getting involved in the community, really learning self-discipline because I, I now have learned, you know, careers will change and dreams will change. But experiences, I think, are what fuel the biggest success. And if you're willing to be out of your comfort zone, I think you can kind of do anything. When I was in college, I definitely didn't have aspirations to be a blogger. That wasn't even a term yet, I don't think. Or no. It was, no, it wasn't. You know, very early on, no one was talking about it. So, yeah, I mean, I just never would have had that dream. And I definitely didn't think I'd have a skincare line. You know, and I thought I wanted to cover something at the White House, you aren't necessarily thinking that you're Quite going different. to you know, create something like a skincare line. So it's so, you know, it's so, so different. And I think you have to really kind of accept that the process will change and your opportunities will change. And I'm sure that 
anyone who's in school right now could probably have a job that doesn't exist yet and that we you know we don't know about so I think that now that I look back I think that's sort of the biggest takeaway is I'm really grateful that I was really involved and that I you know really indulged in all of my experiences there um, and I just really did everything 100% and I think a lot of that still to this day has prepared me for what I've ended up going into. Yeah if I think back to like our days at Indiana just even the classes we took and how like archaic everything feels and I started college fashionista um, our senior year and I remember being so embarrassed to have a blog because no one had blog it was like very nerdy to have a blog and it's just I always (laughs) laugh now at how that's like the most glamorous career and just how far things have come it was a little bit laughed off too I think you know no one really took it seriously even when I started mine which would have been several years after you started College Fashionista. I mean, that was, people still were like, what? What's a blog? Yeah. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah. So you started your blog in 2013. And what kind of gave you the inspiration and idea to to go into that direction? I really loved to write. That was probably, and still is, I mean, one of my biggest passions. And so I started to blog simply as an outlet to write. And I started kind of, you know, writing inspirational things down and like career motivation and sort of some career advice. I was switching careers at the time. At that point, hadn't really covered a lot of fashion or beauty or lifestyle. It was just, it was just almost like a diary. And a lot of my friends first started reading it and then they would share it with their friends and you know how the internet works and then things start spreading and and, and more and more people kind of start to look toward it. And I was also noticing in broadcasting, I was going on, I just moved to LA and I was kind of going on different auditions and they, they kept wanting an expert in something, you know, it was like, oh, well, you're a great broadcaster, but we really want an interior designer for this, or we really want someone who specializes in food, or we want a beauty expert or a fashion expert. And I couldn't really call myself an expert, even though I had worked, it felt like I kind of paid my dues and I had worked as a broadcaster. But initially, I also kind of started it as a means of of sort of having the space for myself. So when I would go into these auditions, I could say, hey, I have this blog and, you know, I'm writing about fashion and I'm writing about beauty and I'm writing about lifestyle things. So that way, you know, I thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, they'll hire me for for that one thing, because I can kind of become an expert in that. The really strange thing, and this is just kind of crazy, you know, how life works as I was working on that and sort of as like year one went by and year two went by, it also became very apparent that I could have a lot more opportunity by really focusing on my blog rather than trying to get another broadcast job. And I was definitely not expecting that. I mean, one of the sole purposes I started it was to kind of to get a new job. Everything sort of changed. A lot of people started blogging. You know, people really started to respect blogs. There were a lot more opportunities and also paid opportunities. So it could actually be a real job rather than just a hobby. And I wasn't really anticipating that, but it became after I would say about like two years, it definitely became more apparent that I could do more with the site than probably what I could do by taking another job. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's funny that you started it with that intention to help with broadcasting and how it became what your career was. So I sometimes I look back and I think I remember, you know, to your point that if you just put, you know, told people you had a blog and they were a little bit confused and it was like that. I mean, honestly, for probably three years, every time I would explain what I did for work, I always felt this like hesitation when I would say, oh, you know, yep. I'm a blogger. I create content. It's like embarrassing or whatever. And, Yes. Yeah. I almost felt a little embarrassed and they would say, oh, but I thought you, you know, you were this broadcaster and you were doing so well. And it almost made me feel really guilty that I had like changed this path. And I would think to myself, you know, gosh, should I give up on something that 
could have been better and you kind of question your journey. Um, now I'm at a point, I think I'm probably, you know, old enough and mature enough to understand it's just you got to really be proud of what whatever work it is you're creating. And even if someone, whether it's a sibling or a parent or a cousin who might not understand it yet, it usually, you know, ends up being something that will really develop. And if you feel good about it and you feel proud of it and you feel like there's a future there, I think you just you really have to keep going and stick with it and not kind of let all of those voices get into your head. I think that's amazing advice and really important to find like that confidence in yourself, right? Because there's so many um, new industries and jobs and things that are created by these type of leaders. So I think that's awesome that you had that intuition. So you had your blog, you ran it for a bunch of years. How did you transition into Summer Fridays? Like, how did that come to be? So we, Mariana, Hugh, and I, who's my business partner, we had been friends for years, and she is a mega beauty blogger, as you know. Yes. Um, I mean, has been covering beauty for years, and we've always remained, I mean, we've been friends, I think, for probably eight or nine years now. We've been really close. So she'd been in LA and was doing a lot of fashion and beauty segments. We both wanted to be Oprah, obviously. <laughs> and we, you know, just kind of always stayed in touch. And then we started blogs and we, we were always really close friends. So it just, we were thinking about different ideas and we thought about all of these different products we had tried. Um, I was very, very early on in my pregnancy as well. And so I was switching all of my products out and I was trying to make things at home and I was complaining that nothing worked. And, and we ended up coming up with this idea of summer Fridays and feeling like there was a need for skincare that was clean, but still very effective. And that still felt fun and cool and something you wanted to share on Instagram. We kind of felt like it was either skincare kind of, it was going in two directions. It was either something that was super, super clean and it didn't necessarily relate to you. You didn't feel as connected to it, or maybe it wasn't effective or it wasn't clean at all, but you loved the product and you wanted to keep using it. So we had both tried so many products over the years from blogging. And we also would get a lot of questions from people on Instagram. Anytime we would share something, you know, they would ask, is it vegan? Is it paraben free? Does it have sulfates in it? Does it have synthetic dyes or fragrances? And so, you know, we got those questions, I mean, honestly, probably for years. And so it almost ended up being this focus group for us that we didn't know about at the time. But then when we were really brainstorming how to create Summer Fridays and especially our first product, the jet lag mask, we went back and we really thought about, you know, what are people asking us and what's most important. And I think we definitely thought a product that works is most important to people. They're only going to buy something if it actually works and is effective and natural as something can be, if it doesn't work, you're probably not going to buy it twice. Um, and then beyond that, it was like, okay, we really have, we have to look very hard at ingredients. How did you even figure out like how to create the product, the ingredients or the product itself and, and the packaging and the distribution? Like, did either of you have experience in that in the past or was it just kind of trial and error? No, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, and I always think too, it's, I try not to overthink or over-research anything once I make a decision to do it because sometimes that can be scary. Yes. (laughs) If you Google for too many hours at night how to do something, sometimes you become almost too scared to do it. And so it was a little bit of ignorance is bliss. We did know what we wanted to create. We felt really confident about our idea and we felt really positive about, you know, how it could fit into the community and the community that we could build around it kind of, you know, we really just had this attitude of we'll, we'll find the best people who do know how to do the things we don't know how to do. So first we found a lab that we just, we fell in love with and they really specialize in clean beauty. And so that was sort of the first team we started working with was our lab. And then 
we found an amazing branding agency who helped us really create Summer Fridays, the colors, the names, the messaging behind it. And we've just slowly started building this team who could help us handle things like manufacturing and supply chain, because that's, that's so intimidating to think about that, you know, when you want to start something like a skincare line. It's really incredible. And I agree with you that ignorance is bliss. I think that's why when you start companies when you're young, it's almost like the best time because you just like don't know what you don't know and you kind of dive headfirst into it. It's so impressive right. that, you know, you guys, the two of you are like, couldn't it be a better partnership um, coming together to do something like this? So your face mask sold out almost instantly, which is has to be just such an incredible feeling. How do you look at the brand moving forward and think about different products and where do you see it going? Well, we do have more products coming, um, but I can't share too many details. You'll definitely see more products. And we um, are also now starting to ask people on Instagram what they really want. So we want our community to be very involved with our brand. We feel like they've been involved since day one, even if they didn't know it. They've Actually, a lot of their questions helped us formulate jet lag masks. And then what we're doing right now is we're asking our followers what they want to see next. What are their biggest skincare concerns? What do they feel like is missing in their routine? And then we're taking all of that feedback and bringing that to our labs. And we're actually already working on future products based on, on what we're hearing back from people. I think we'll continue to release things in a very slow but steady manner. We really like to take our time on a product and we'll do many back and forth with our lab until we feel really confident with it. And we don't want to overwhelm anyone with a lot of products. And that was something that we decided very early on when we were kind of going back and forth on whether we would launch with several products or just a single product. And it was something that we made a very conscious decision on because I think now we're, I think we're sort of overwhelmed with, with everything. We see a lot of things on social media every day, whether it's in skincare or fashion or, you know, whatever it may be. And you don't always know, okay, well, what's the one thing I should try or what sort of that hero product? And we thought, you know, we'll make we'll make our first product so good that people will want to keep buying it and they'll become really familiar with it. And then we want that sort of for every product that we launch. We want to give it enough time so that, you know, you can really fall in love with it and use it and experiment, you know, with different ways to use it. And we, you know, are big fans of using our products with other products. You know, we don't think that yeah. anyone probably just uses one skincare line. I think it, you know, we love mixing jet lag mask with a lot of other products that we really love. And so even, even that's a big part of our thought process when we want to create something that, you know, we think of how can this blend into a routine that you're already doing? Yeah. I really like that strategy. I think it's Mm -hmm. smart. And I feel like I've been more interested in sites and brands that have less because I, I just feel like it's so overwhelming to go to a site or follow a brand and be like, well, what what product should I get? Like, what's the best product? There's so many. So I think that's a really smart strategy. And I feel like people right. will appreciate that. What has been the most challenging part of launching Summer Fridays? I think, honestly, the most challenging is, is probably more personal to me. I, I Because we launched the year that I had a baby, I felt like I, I was birthing a business and a baby in, in the same year. Um, so that was honestly probably the most challenging part was just kind of figuring out that sort of work-life, home balance, and there really isn't a balance is also what I've learned. You know, everything is perfectly imbalanced and it all kind of happens as it should and, and just really learning to trust that process. I think that's really probably been the most challenging part of it and also just enjoying each moment as it comes. And I think that kind of taking this lesson to just all aspects of my life, but I think we all have a habit of always thinking about 
what's next. You know, when you're in college, you're thinking about, okay, well, what's the next internship? What's the next job? And then you land your first job and you're thinking, oh, what's the next job? And, you know, we're kind of always thinking about whatever the next thing is. And I'm, I'm trying to also really enjoy whatever the moment is and indulge in that and to really experience that moment because I think so much changes, even year to year, so much changes. And so because we get so busy and especially with things with summer fires, we get so busy that we forget to celebrate sometimes. And you don't, you also don't get that time back. You know, we're going to be your work for the rest of your life and you're always have sort of a, a next thing that's coming. But I think especially when you're in school, it's just this really special, beautiful, magical time for you to be in that moment and to enjoy that moment and really make the most of it. I so agree with you. And I know when I think back about my college time, I was just rushing to get out of Bloomington and to go into the industry and to start working. And I felt like if I didn't do it immediately, that like I would never have the opportunity. And to your point, like you will work, you will find a job, it will all come together. Yeah. But college is awesome. It's so true. It's like, you know, if you want to travel, if you want to experience different jobs, it's my dad always says this quote, and he actually always says life is long. And it's funny because we, you know, you kind of always hear life is short, but I actually like his outlook that life is long. And it's just, you know, take your time with things. We don't have to always be in such a rush to get to that next point. Yeah. Well, you couldn't have said it better. If you could think back about graduating at Indiana, would you ever have imagined that this is where your career would have taken you? No, <laughs> definitely not. I um, I mean, again, I for sure thought I was going to be some kind of a broadcaster somewhere. I thought for sure on a national level, I really wanted to either be in L.A. or New York and, and doing some kind of news anchoring. Um, and if I wasn't doing that, I thought it would just, it would solely be around writing. And I think the really amazing part, just in how everything has changed, is I kind of get to do everything I love, but in such a different way than what I could have anticipated. And so it, I think now we have a lot more freedom to design our careers and our lives in a way that really makes sense for us each individually. And I don't think that was necessarily the case, even when I first graduated, you know, it was much more you know, okay, here's step one, step two, step three. And I think now what's what's really cool is that I think you can kind of create this design in this landscape for yourself um, that just really makes sense for you uh, and in a place that makes sense for you. And I think that's been just a really incredible shift that I've seen. Yeah, it's a it's a really great time. I agree. Like, you know, there's just so many different opportunities and I feel so excited for all of our students um, when, you know, I talk to them about their careers and just all of the, the things that they're able to do that, yeah, it just was a different landscape. But you are such a great inspiration, and it's so awesome to see all the success you've had from Indiana, and it always makes me so proud and happy for you. And so we are huge fans, Thank and I can't you. wait to see what happens more with your blog and with your personal brand and with Summer Fridays and we will kind of be cheerleading you along the way. So thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. Oh, thank you so, so much. That makes my heart happy. That's so sweet. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren, for joining Office Hours. Your story is so inspiring. Stay tuned for another great guest next month. Bye.
As a roofer, you need accurate roof measurements and you need them fast. GAF Quick Measure gives you single family residence roof measurements in less than an hour. Learn more and order your first report today at GAF.com slash Quick Measure. Welcome everyone to the show. Today we are so honored to have Morgan Volcar, who is a graduate and an associate vice provost of the Western Region and International Recruitment of one and only Lehigh University. Morgan is a key leader at Lehigh where she executes and surpasses enrollment goals for the Western Region of the U.S. and internationally for the university. She is uh, she grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and is a first-gen college student as well. And she decided to go to the East Coast, to Lehigh University, where she got her bachelor's degree in social psychology, Asian studies, which led her to continue her studies in Chinese culture and Mandarin at Shanghai Jiatong University. She also is a college athlete for women's volleyball. Um, she has done so much. And also, she is a new grad mentor for one of my favorite scholarship programs in the Bay Area, Students Rising Above. Welcome to the show, Morgan. Thank you, and thank you for the awesome introduction. I appreciate it. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, well, you did all the awesome stuff. I mean, uh Tell me about what got you interested in Chinese culture. I know you've done a lot of internships in the UN, too. Yeah. So what initially got me interested probably was um, a little bit of my high school experience. I was surrounded by um, a lot of Asian culture in Las Vegas, um, and a lot of my friends were from various Asian countries. And when I got to college, I naturally sort of gravitated to wanting to learn more and specifically wanting to learn Mandarin, which is something that a lot of my, my friends' parents would speak. Uh, and then that just sort of led to continuing to want to learn more and opportunities that brought me to China a number of times. Well, your resume is impressive, but let's hear, learn about some of this other fun stuff so our listeners can know the amazing Morgan that I know mm -hmm. of. So what was one of the best experiences you had at Shanghai Zhatong University? Oh, one of the best experiences there, um, I think, was definitely uh, doing language exchange um, with a lot of folks. So while I was there to learn Mandarin, um, a lot of people want to speak English with you there, which can sometimes make it difficult to learn. So it's, you have to sort of arrange an agreement that, okay, we're going to do exchange, you know, I'm going to do teach English and you helped me with my Mandarin. Um, and that just led to like a lot of fun excursions, new friendships. Um, you know, I mean, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And all my classmates there were actually from all over the world. And some were college students and some were professionals working in various industries. So I just got to learn about so much, not just Chinese culture, but um, why other people were in China to learn Mandarin and to learn the culture as well. Well, that's a great plug for why everyone should do study abroad, no matter where you go for college. Um, but while you were in college and maybe now, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, gosh. I would say cookies and cream. Mm, I like cooking creams yeah. and dough. Favorite superhero? <laughs> favorite superhero? Um, I like Storm from X-Men. Ooh, very strong character. And what is one super uh, power you want? Oh, 
Definitely to fly. Uh, and what is one superpower yeah. you do not want? Um, oh, my God. I think, like, if there was a superpower for, like, being able to enhance your sense of smell, I probably wouldn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just, you just made me think about my husband when he farts. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> not a superpower I would want either. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> And let's talk about a great experience that you had at Lehigh University since you um, did graduate from the campus. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many awesome experiences that I had there. It's hard to, like, narrow it down to one. But I think earlier when you mentioned um, the United Nations and the opportunity that I had there, um, that wouldn't have been possible without Lehigh's partnership with the UN, which is super unique. And internships at the UN are incredibly hard to come by. Um, And, you know, Lehigh set me up with that. And it was through two different professors who got to know me as an undergrad who were, who found out about this internship and were like, Morgan would be a great fit. Instantaneously wrote me recommendation letters, connected me to who I needed to be connected with. And next thing I know, I, I landed this role that not many people even know about or have access to because you kind of have to have that network. Um, and that really uh, led to my future positions in international education because um, when I was with the UN, I was actually helping the UN to connect uh, universities throughout Asia and the Pacific region um, to the Millennium Development Goals and get them on board with that. Uh, so I'd have to reach out to presidents and various administrators and help them get on board and then plan a conference for all of them to come to the United Nations. So um, it was a lot of work, but I learned so much, and I'm just so thankful for Lehigh and that experience. And that program has grown tremendously. So I'm kind of jealous there's even more opportunities at the UN for students now than there was Gosh, that was over 10 years ago when I was doing that. Well, I could just imagine all the great personal gossip you must have of these national leaders, you know, which I know you're going to keep top secret because I know who you are. You're a true professional, but that's the first thing that pops in my mind. But I love that you talked about the networking opportunities because a lot of times I'll have people, oh, yeah, we have a great career center um, but it's about that networking, um, connecting the students, grabbing them. I've, I've always have students through the years who graduate from college, love their experience, but then they're asking me, their old high school, hey, can you help me find a job? Do you know it? And I'm like, oh, boy, you know. So, And even from <laughs> students who graduate from Ivy League schools and stuff like that. So it's really about the... Um, uh, you know, the purpose and the focus of the campus and university. So thank you so much for bringing that up. But also, can you talk about specific examples, how um, the mission of Lehigh University is inclusive and provides opportunities um, from faculty, staff members, and encouraging students to do the common good for others? Yeah, so, I mean, definitely everything is centered around serving others and being prepared for the future, the issues, the problems, um, all of that. So everything we're encountering today, plus, you know, what we can, uh, we don't know what might happen 10 years from now and how we may need to be serving others in, in that capacity then. And so, you know, that, that includes helping our students 
to sort of foster um, like an entrepreneurial way of thinking when it comes to solving problems and also giving back. Um, so thinking creatively and not being afraid of taking risks. And, and that goes for everyone, whether it's our students, our faculty, or our staff. Um, everyone's encouraged to really think outside the box. Um, and I think that, you know, when it comes to solving the world's problems or even the smallest problems, that's really beneficial, um, even across all disciplines. And then I think also collaboration is also really key because we can only do so much um, as a single person. And Lehigh is all about collaborating to help others, to solve problems, and to learn from one another, most importantly, um, and share perspectives. And that's why we literally travel all around the world to recruit students who are fit for Lehigh, um, as well as faculty who bring these different perspectives to the table and different skills and areas of expertise that can, um, you know, bring something different to the table as we collaborate and try to solve these problems and, and be prepared for the next challenges that come down the road 10 years from now as well. No, and you guys practice what you preach because you're also our partners with the Posse Foundation who helps recruit students um, nationwide as well to become future leader and game changers too as well. So um, that's something that's not, not every campus can say they do. And I'm, I'm really glad that Lehigh University does do that and encourage students um, to go above and, like you said, be risk takers. It, it's scary to, be, uh, to take risk. Because change is hard, but if you want to make positive change, we have to take um, the right risk for the better good. Exactly. And we're extremely proud of our, our partnership with Posse and uh, the three co cohorts that we have recruited so far have been doing amazing. Oh, fantastic. That's so great. Now, what makes Lehigh stand out compared to other campuses? Now, you already talked about the networking helping people to be leaders of change from all different uh, areas, collaboration. What are some other ways besides, I think, your guys' campus, because uh, for people who haven't visited, I've never driven on a campus. It's like, when is it going to end? I was with my friend, like, when is this campus going to end? I mean, in a good way, because it was so huge. That's how it sends out for me. But what's something else yeah. that's more unique that people can't see from a Google map or a Google image? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the campus, as you mentioned, is quite large with a lot of green space, but is still very walkable, which you, you may not expect. Um, from driving around campus, um, and you do get used to those hills. Um, but what I would say, you know, I think it probably has a lot to do with um, the those different perspectives and the people on our campus um, that truly want to be there and really love Lehigh and are very enthusiastic about it. And I think, you know, if anyone out there knows a Lehigh alum or who has ever come across one, you probably were able to um, sort of feel that uh, enthusiasm that they have for the institution that they attended. And that's definitely palpable within our student community as well. Um, 
and the traditions that we have on campus. So um, you'd have to be there on a day where a tradition is happening. Um, but one of the weeks where a lot of them do take place is Spirit Week on our campus. And um, we do things like race beds, which has been going on since, gosh, I think like the late 1800s when Lehigh was an all-male engineering school and they would build these beds as a test to their engineering skills and race them down the mountain that you were driving on. <laughs> um, and uh, we still do practice bed races, but now it's on a flat surface and the students have helmets and the beds are pre-assembled versus having the students assemble them prior to. But it's just fun stuff like that that's been going on for, gosh, over 100 years now that's carried on. Um, and really kept the Lehigh spirit alive and continues to bring our community together every year. And, and that's just one example of that. You know, another good healthy tradition that I, I think has been practiced a long time is I did get out of my car and the deers um, just are all around you too. Like they're not too afraid and um, it, it's beautiful to see. Like you said, it's, it's like, oh, here's a building, and then, you know, there's all this green and stuff like that. But um, but it's great that you guys keep practicing that, you know, tradition out there because one of the biggest questions a lot of students have that's really hard to obtain, you know, is what's the vibe and the culture of the campus? So can you speak about that vibe of, you know, that social life? Because, you know, just like a movie, if you, if you look at a rating for Rotten Tomatoes, sometimes it doesn't rate the, the um, you know, the movie that well, you know. And I know it's kind of hard because you guys work hard to be an eclectic campus, right? But if mm-hmm. I'm there the first day of campus and everyone's settled in their dorms, you know, what what is some of the energy that I experience there and, and around town? Yeah, so I would say that on campus, Students have a pretty robust uh, social life. Um, and, you know, I think most of the time they're not necessarily like settled in their dorms all the time. You get yourself settled, but then you're actually spending most of the time outside of your dorm room on Lehigh's campus because on any given day, there's 30 plus events going on that students have organized that um, clubs and also various offices and the university have organized for students to take part in. So I think our students find that there's just not enough time in the day to take part in everything that they would like to. And then, you know, we've got the Bethlehem community, which you literally step foot off of campus and you can walk to about 20 different restaurants, all different types of cuisines, art centers, galleries. So I would say Bethlehem is kind of artsy and funky um, very focused on performing arts. We have a theater that hosts independent films, tons of indoor and outdoor concert venues. So um, festivals coming through throughout the year. So you've got all of this stuff going on on campus thanks to a really active and engaged student body. Um, but then also the Bethlehem area, which is really like a hidden gem in the Lehigh Valley in, in Pennsylvania in general. And everything is within walking distance. And you've got so much at your fingertips. Um, and I think that it's great that our students somehow find the time. And I know I did too, even playing a division one sport to be able to experience their community, which is Bethlehem, whether that's through the food or through the arts. 
um, but also find time to be involved in like four or five clubs and organizations and, and take on a leadership role within that and be someone who's also planning events for everyone else on campus. So um, I would say it's very inclusive because all of the things happening are open to everyone. So even when like a sorority or fraternity is uh, organizing a community service event, that's open to the entire campus. It's, you know, not specifically just for those involved in Greek life. So um, again, it, it just brings everyone together. And I would say you've, you've got this really engaged, um, highly spirited vibe on our campus. No, I, I think it's, I still remember the great restaurants around campus that I went to, but you guys are also close to the freeway too, to go to some easy access to some major cities, correct? Yeah. So you can get to Philadelphia within an hour. You can get to New York city, uh, within an hour and a half. So, um, and then, you know, you've got all the other great cities in the Northeast. D.C. is a little over three hours. You can get to Boston. And the train is a great way to get around. So, um, you know, everything, I would say Boston is, what, maybe five hours, depending on traffic. So, um, yeah, all these major cities up there are just super accessible to our students. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's a great opportunity for so many students. But there's other opportunities you guys do in the classroom. Can you give some examples of some projects that may happen in a variety of classrooms that could be some name dropper opportunities for a student to express on their resume? Yeah. So um, we've got, I mean, Lehigh's all about like a hands-on approach to learning and we're a research institution. So that doesn't mean every student is doing research and nobody's required to do it, but it is something that all our professors are working on and students have access to at any time during their undergraduate career. Um, but one of the things that I'll highlight is our Office of Creative Inquiry. And so through this office, we have our mountaintop program. And it literally is at the top of the mountain. Um, we have these massive maker spaces up there. They are the biggest maker spaces that I know of and that I've ever seen. Um, there's some YouTube videos you can watch to actually just get a visual of the space. But up there you have students working on all sorts of projects. Some of them are for classes and are credit bearing and some have no credit attached to them. And the idea is through these projects that students have, in most cases, generated themselves, have proposed and received the funding and resources for, um, for them to bring these, their own ideas to life. So utilizing what they've learned in the classroom, collaborating with students across various disciplines, they're working to solve a problem or to create a product, right? And with our resources and the funding, they're doing that in these massive maker spaces. And the idea is that, you know, they'll take more responsibility for their work that way. Um, in the cases where there's no grade attached to it, or even when there is one, they're not really afraid to fail because they're not being graded based on whether the project is a success or not, because it's all about taking risks and they're doing something that no one's ever done before. This is something that they've come up with themselves um, and that they're working to solve or bring to life. And so the mountaintop program, I think, is one of those things that um, 
really distinguishes Lehigh from other institutions and also allows our students across all disciplines that space to collaborate um, as well as to be entrepreneurial regardless of what discipline that they're coming from. Now, I think every campus needs a huge makerspace. I have yet yeah. seen students working in a makerspace um, center, and you should go on the YouTube if you don't know what a makerspace is, because high schools need it too, who don't have a smile on their hands, who are not engaging and dialoguing. Um, it, it's beautiful you have that. And you also have something very unique. Usually I ask you about career centers, but your career center is kind of unique because don't you have two sites one on campus and something very unique in San Francisco that um, I think is one of a kind, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So while we have our Center for Career and Professional Development on our campus, um, linked to that is our presence here on the West Coast, where we can actually work very closely with company and companies and engage industry in a way that um, folks on campus would not be able to do without being here. And so I'm just one of five staff members that we have in the Bay Area. Um, and many of the staff work across various states um, on the West Coast. But we do emphasize the Bay Area because we see that there's a huge crossover in terms of what employers are looking for and the kinds of Lehigh students um, the Lehigh students and the skills and the personalities that they, they bring with them, um, there's a lot of great crossover there. And so, for instance, my colleague Wendy, who is our Director of Industry Engagement um, out here in the Bay Area, uh, her job is to find industry to connect Lehigh with, to, um, for students to have funding to work on projects, do case studies with, to intern with during the summer or winter break, or even now we're doing semester-long internships that are for credit for our juniors and seniors with companies throughout the Bay Area, and then also jobs after graduation. So, um, you know, we're all here to help make that transition easier for students who want to take advantage of the opportunities out here, or even just to learn more about the culture and, um you know, the Silicon Valley enterprise and the startup network out here that I think if you are solely um, going to school on the East Coast and that's where you've grown up as well, you probably haven't been exposed to that much at all. And so it's great for the students from the East Coast who could use the exposure, but also for those coming from this, um, this area, the West Coast, the Bay Area, who know they want to make their way back here at some point after college. So, yeah, it's really unique. And I don't know other schools that um, have anything quite like this. No, um, I, I'm pretty old. I've like, been doing this since last century. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know everything, but I've been exposed to a lot. No, I think it's so important. It's um, literally, um, it's about moving it forward and not staying that old lecture style. Here's your degree. Use your own network. Um, and I think that's important. And I, uh, and I would love some insight for uh, current students there, prospective students, and your experience about the support systems that Lehigh give for um, first-gen students or any students who uh, may feel marginalized 
And then what about um, opportunities that students may get from Lehigh if they're applying for uh, campus-specific scholarships or financial aid? Okay, yeah, definitely. So we've got a number of programs in place. I guess I'll start with um, prospective students who might be first in their family to go to college or underrepresented. Um, So... For starters, we have some programs that are that fly students to campus. So one of them would typically happen in October before students even apply to Lehigh um, or submit their application. And that program is called our Diversity Achievers Program. And so with that program, you would apply to it. Um, if you are accepted into the program, We'll pay for you to fly to campus. You'll stay on campus for the weekend. Um, I believe you're even there for a day where you're attending classes and there's all sorts of activities. So you're, you're living a, a few days in the life of a Lehigh student, uh, getting to know the other students and our faculty and staff um, to help you in understanding what it might be like to be a student at Lehigh and the resources that exist for you there. Another similar program is our Diversity Life Program, and that's for students um, after they've applied to Lehigh and have been admitted uh, to the institution. And in that case, we are selecting admitted students um, and inviting them to the fly-in program. And it's the same kind of idea where you're experiencing what it's like to be a Lehigh student on our campus. Um, And then in addition to that, you know, once you become a Lehigh, even before you become a Lehigh student, um, you've got a program that sort of helps to bridge your the gap um, before you get there in terms of understanding what to expect um, and being more prepared for the college experience. And this is something that was not around when when I went to Lehigh, that definitely would have been a game changer for me because the first year or year and a half probably were were really tough for me coming from a a big public school um, and going to a smaller private school and just the different demographics and and everything was so new to me. But um, through our our Lehigh University Student Scholar Institute, which goes by Lucy, the students who participate in that are usually – first-generation college students coming from a lower-income um, background, diverse background, and they come through this program and they spend about a week on campus before actual orientation starts um, where they're living in the dorms. They're getting to know each other. So you're getting to know other people who you know that you can relate to because of um, the similar backgrounds that you come from and potentially will be facing some similar obstacles as you work to adjust to um, college life at a private school in Pennsylvania. And these students are coming from all over the place. But you get to know the faculty, the staff, all of the support resources that are there for you, um, the professors who will be teaching um, some of your key courses as a freshman, doing all sorts of team bonding and leadership work and Um, It's just a great opportunity for students to just get settled in um, and feel comfortable with each other, with their surroundings, and um, develop great relationships with faculty and staff before they hit the ground running with classes in the fall. Um, 
With this program, these students actually participate in what's called Passport to Success, and this is out of our Office of International Affairs. So all of the students who don't already have a passport get a free passport, and we help them go through that process. And then not only that, but that includes a study abroad experience. Um, So it's a short, like, week-long study abroad experience, but it's included in part of the program, and it's completely funded through the Passport to Success program. And we find that a lot of students who are coming from diverse backgrounds, first-gen, tend to not do study abroad as much as other students do because they assume things like they can't afford it or it's a distraction or it's just something that's not in their realm of possibility when that's totally not true. And when we get these students on this program for their first uh, study abroad experience with Passport to Success, we see them going abroad for a semester next time or a full year and applying for these um, national scholarships um, like the Gilman Scholarship um, for students who are first-generation college students to receive a scholarship to then study abroad again. So um, it just creates so many more opportunities for students. And I feel like I've been talking a lot, but there's so many offices on our campus, Multicultural Affairs Office, um, our Student Access and Success Office, um, Pride Center, Tutoring Center, the list goes on. Um, Just all these free resources to students to access while they're at Lehigh that I think are, are tr- really helpful for, for those of us um, who might need a little extra support like I did um, when I went to Lehigh uh, as the first in, in my entire family to go to college. Um, you know, just not having anyone to be able to go to and, and ask for advice um, in my family or even my, my friend group, you know, it was just really helpful to have all of that right there at my my fingertips and um you know I'm just so proud of how far Lehigh has come because those things definitely were not an option for me um when I was a student but I had still some really great support and resources through um the volleyball team and also my professors who all took an interest in me as they do in in all of their students and, and getting to know them to to help them reach their potential and, and make the most of their Lehigh experience. Now I can hear um, the pride in your voice, right? Like, and it sounds yeah. like through the years that the campus has, you know, walked the talk, right. And where, you know, sometimes people just do superficial stuff, but really putting that investment with students, not just them getting in there, but beyond. Cause from one first gen to another first gen, it is dang hard. It's hard feeling mm-hmm. like the only one in loss, and uh, you should be very proud, and Lehigh should be really proud of it building itself and not asking what more we can do versus, oh, that's good enough. Exactly, yeah, I totally agree. And um, with everything that we're, you know, investing in these programs that I've talked about, you know, we're also investing in financial aid and scholarships um, to make sure that we're bringing students in who are going to take full advantage of all of this. Um, so, um, you know, I hope that students are aware of the generous financial aid that Lehigh is able to provide. So, um, you know, I would encourage you to really look beyond the price tag, which now is 70 plus thousand dollars a year with uh, tuition and room and board. Um, but there are a lot of students who aren't paying anything to go to Lehigh 
because they're receiving full financial aid packages. And the main thing is making sure to apply by those deadlines. Um, you know, it's, it's possible to find yourself at a school with the price tag like this and not have to pay anything. And, and that was my situation at Lehigh. Um, so, you know, I encourage you to, to look into their financial aid policies and what's available to you and, um, you know, connect with the financial aid office as you have questions. Many of them are willing to, uh, I know we're willing to, at Lehigh, our financial aid advisors walk parents or guardians through um, the paperwork. Even if they're not applying to Lehigh, we're, we're happy to, to help walk them through the FAFSA, the CSS profile, um, and any other documents that might be required to make sure that they're getting everything in on time and that it's complete. No, your department is amazing. And Morgan is not lying. Um, we have a previous podcast on financial, like how you can use net price calculator. So you could see the numbers and how it, it can reduce based on your needs. So look, look at it. It's so important. But so if the financial aid's there, what is the part that your campus is hoping to find, discover on students' applications? Right. You know, there's a lot of data, GPA, test scores, but, you know, it goes a lot more beyond that. What is Lehigh looking for, um, even though you have a wide range of amazing majors um, on your campus? But what, what is uh, give families and students an idea? What is something that your guys are hoping for to find? Yeah, and you're so right. It goes way beyond um, the transcript and any test scores. Um, you know, most of the students who apply to Lehigh are sort of within that, you know, profile range of SAT score and GPA. Um, and so when that happens, you really have to look beyond that because we only have, now we have about 1450 yeah, spots in the freshman class. So we really have to narrow it down. And, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for those students who are authentically themselves. And, um, and that can come through in a number of ways in the application, um, the essays, the types of things that you're involved in outside the classroom. And, and when I say essays, I also mean those short answer essays that some people don't think are that important. Thank you for um, saying that. <laughs> but are actually one of the first things that I look at when I read your application, um, because I feel like there's so much more genuine sometimes to who the student is and helps me understand why they're applying to Lehigh specifically and how they see themselves on our campus. Um, cause we usually ask that one of those typical questions of why Lehigh, mm -hmm. maybe not in those exact words, but you know, how do you see yourself contributing and how do you see yourself taking advantage of the opportunities basically? And, and that's what I'm thinking about the entire time I'm reading the application is how is a student going to contribute to our campus and will they be the type of person to take full advantage of what Lehigh has to offer? Um, and that has nothing to do with what the student wants to major in, um, because all of our students, while they may have specific interests in areas, um, they don't come in with a set major. They have two years to declare their major, and usually they're 
taking a smattering of courses and changing majors and switching between our colleges. Um, so it's really, you know, thinking about how, how are they going to take advantage and contribute to our campus? And there's really no specific way. And like, well, are they going to do the UN program or, you know, it's really, we want students who are going to take advantage of a lot of different things and, and maybe add something new to the campus community that doesn't already exist as well. So it could be a student who, you know, gosh, I'm trying to think of oh, no. new clubs that we, we've had on campus. Um, but, you know, I think creating something new for others to learn from is as important as taking advantage of something that already exists at Lehigh. And so I think those are the kinds of things that really stand out to me. But of course, we're looking for students who will be collaborative in and outside of um, the classroom, because those are the students that are really going to thrive, who are open to learning across disciplines, because again, you're really going to thrive at Lehigh um, because there's so many opportunities to be able to do that, as well as those that are going to feel maybe a little bit more comfortable with having dialogue with one another um, in a smaller setting in some cases. Yeah, because though your guys are a Division One and you do have a massive campus, your student body size is not that large the way I described your campus earlier. Like, <laughs> and, and, and what is your biggest freshman class? So this year will be the largest Um we're looking at over a little over 1,400 students, um, whereas last year we had probably 100 less in the incoming freshman class. But we are looking to expand. So while right now Lehigh has um, a little over 5,000 undergraduate students, we're hoping to be at about 6,000 undergraduate students in the next six to seven years. So that's a gradual increase each year with each incoming class. Um, and then we're also able to hire 100 new faculty at the same time. Yay. So we'll be able to maintain that personalized experience, that nine-to-one student-to-faculty ratio, um, and just be able to add more opportunities through the research and the expertise that um, those new professors bring to campus. And um, with each incoming class, we're able to also bring in more students from all over the world, the West Coast. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a benefit uh, to Lehigh, but you're right. We're not huge. We're not small, but we're considered, we're still considered medium size for a private school. But yeah. I'd say the opportunities available to students are that of definitely a much larger institution. Now, you get a little bit of everything, to be honest, right? And then that intro psych or intro chem class, what what is the size of one of those on campus? So usually in the first year taking those intro classes, you will have some lectures. So you're probably looking at like 80 to 100 students in one of those lecture classes. But then um, while you might meet twice a week for lecture, you also meet once a week for what we call recitation, which is where you have about 15 students that come together from the lecture um, to go over the material, to be able to ask questions and to talk more in depth about the material, um, which is hard to do when you're in a large lecture and there's just like not enough time for everyone to ask their questions. So um, once you get into like your sophomore year, 
the classes get smaller and smaller. And then on average, you're looking at about 28 students in a class. Yeah, collaboration is so important. Well, you know, one thing, Morgan, you know, I work with it um, with Chris Delaney, who did a counselor fly in one. And he always I uh, when someone's interested, wanted to learn about Lehigh, I make him my little promo. Like, tell me what's your favorite and Lehigh. And he just jumps up and down um, about <laughs> it. And you just kind of verify why over and over. Um, if our listeners want to learn more about your campus online, whether it be on the web, so social media, or other platforms, where should they go? Yeah, so I would say just head directly to www.thenumber1.lehigh.edu. And then from there, you can find our admissions website. And we are hosting um, live virtual information sessions every day, including Saturdays. We do take a break on Sunday, though. But sign up for one of those. We have virtual tours that are also live and hosted by current Lehigh students. So you can join those virtually lots of different panels that we're hosting with students and faculty. So I think right now, because so much has to be virtual, you actually have more opportunities at your fingertips to learn about institutions. And um, I think especially Lehigh, because we're doing something every day uh, to to help you learn as much as possible. And then um, if you want to reach out to me, I am the admissions counselor to students in Northern California, and um, my email address is Emma's and Mary, B as in boy, B as in Victor, the number two at lehigh.edu. And you know your handles for your social media on Instagram or on Twitter? Gosh, I, I think it's like Lehigh U or maybe just Lehigh University. Um, for Instagram, I say Lehigh U. We don't have one for admissions, it's just the general Lehigh. Oh, that's good. I like Instagram that. Instagram account. Um, but we have an admissions Facebook where you'll find, um, you know, information on deadlines and to, to take into consideration throughout the application process, as well as highlights on students and our campus in general. Um, and social media can be a great place to kind of get a sense of the vibe and what's going on on campus, um, you know, sort of day to day. No, it's 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 a it's a great experience, and I love that you guys. Maybe not every day, but Saturday. That's great, and that's really considerate of having it out there. I love it. I can't keep up with you guys. You guys do amazing things. Keep up the good work, and thank you, Morgan, for letting everyone know more about Lehigh University. Oh, thank you, and thanks for all the amazing work that you do with students. Uh, throughout the Bay Area in Northern California. We, we appreciate the work you do, too. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you for listening to College for All. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and learned that college is an opportunity you can reach. Use this information and you can find out even more on our website at college4all.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at college4allamv. Thank you for listening. And until our next podcast, don't forget, nothing is impossible unless you think it is impossible. Get ready for the tastiest breakfast under the sun. New Jimmy Dean Casserole Bites. All the homemade flavors of a breakfast casserole packed into a poppable bite. And you know something else? 
They taste good. As a roofer, you need accurate roof measurements and you need them fast. GAF Quick Measure gives you single-family residence roof measurements in less than an hour. Learn more and order your first report today at GAF.com slash quickmeasure. This is OPB. I'm Tiffany Kamhai. Oregon's high school class of 2020 didn't get the usual milestones. Graduations were canceled, student-athletes didn't play out their final seasons, and now some young people are starting college amid continued uncertainty. OPB's Emily Curitan talked to one former high school basketball star to see how he's coping. And what's the score? 18-year-old Dupree Miller doesn't like to dwell on the bad stuff. Just like my mom and my grandma and grandpa always told me, you know, Not everything's about you, just keep going on, keep moving. He played his last high school basketball game in March. A few weeks later, everything changed. I still think about it and, you know, what what it could have been if COVID wasn't here. Dupree is Warm Springs, Wasco, Ute, and Yakima. He grew up mostly on the Warm Springs Reservation in Central Oregon, where he says basketball is seriously competitive. You know, you got to get the ball, you got to score right away. You got you to score, 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 and, you know, we like to call that res ball. We just score, score, score. At 5'7", he's shorter than a lot of point guards, and he's taken a lot of crap about his height. Oh, you're, you're too small to be playing in this spot. You're too small to be playing with the team. You're too small to be doing this and that. But Dupree was on the varsity team three years of high school, getting past serious injuries and other setbacks. He even went to China to play during junior year. Senior year, he was named to the state all-star team as one of the best young players east of the Cascades. I told myself, I was like, I'm going to show him who I really am and what I can do and what, who I can be. But he never got to play with the all-stars. I'm not like the type of person to just continue to look at it, look at it, look at it. Because I just got, I got to see past that because now I'm on to bigger things, going to college. He's planning to start classes at Lane Community College this month and to leave his mom's house on the rural reservation to live in the city in Eugene. He worries, though, that online learning sets him up to fail. I'm this type of person where I have to learn hands-on. I have, I have to be inside the classroom to learn. Lane Community College Executive Vice President Paul Jarrell says nearly all LCC's classes will be online this term. Students need to be aware that it's perfectly okay. In fact, it's expected and encouraged that you ask for help. He says the first step is contacting a school counselor for information about free tutoring, support groups, and other programs, and that keeping students like Dupree engaged isn't just about the college's bottom line. If if I just sat back or if we just sat back and said, well, you know, we don't really need the students, we don't have the resources uh, and whatever, that's that's a generation that's lost of of humanity, right? I mean, and I, I know that sounds huge, but it is huge. What is it? As Dupree prepares for what comes next, his friends in Madras, they're getting ready to miss him. He's a little orb of light, full of energy. Just We all know that he's always making jokes, laughing. Tyreek Rodriguez is a childhood friend who graduated with Dupree. He's among a group of young guys who say, after months of quarantine, they started playing basketball together again. Oh, my gosh. Dupree says the risk is calculated. This is our only getaway from all the stuff, from all the COVID stuff, from all the arguing, from everything, and 
just get away. It's our getaway from everything around just the world. Because of the pandemic, LCC canceled almost all sports this semester, including basketball. Dupree's taking that in stride, too. Playing basketball isn't just about being on the court. You know, it, it teaches you a lot about, like, respect, communication, like communicating very well, you know, and fr- friendships mainly. But if you ask his teammates, he's already a pro at that. It was close, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it was a real close game. Emily Curitan, OPB Madras. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, October 1st edition of ATS Radio. I am your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. It is already week five of the college football season. We'll talk about a lot of that and also a lot of week four in the NFL as we go along here. Over at ATS.io, lots of picks and predictions. Uh, We got NBA Finals coverage. We got bunch of stuff for this weekend in college football and the NFL. Still covering the Major League Baseball playoffs as well. Uh, I like to think that they end when my Indians get knocked out, but that's not really the way that it goes. We're still covering that over at the website. Along with the top sportsbook promotions for this weekend across the United States, we got sportsbook reviews for all of the different operators that are out there. DraftKings, BetMGM, FanDuel, PointsBet, William Hill, all of them that are out there, Bet Rivers. We got all that coverage over at ATS.io for you to check out. And of course, we're on four days a week here on ATS Radio, Mondays with Kyle Hunter, Tuesdays, myself doing the betters box, and also Brian Blessing talking the NFL, Thursdays here with Brad Powers, and then on Fridays, my picks for the Circus Sports Million. I'll talk about those coming up on tomorrow's show. But before we get to that, we've got this Thursday edition of the podcast, and that's with Kyle, or excuse me, with Brad Powers professional handicapper from bradpowersports.com. Brad, how's it going today, man? It's going well. How are you doing on this fine Thursday? I'm, I've been better. Uh, late bet. night last night with the Indians game, just an excruciating way to lose, which I, I guess I probably should have come to expect. But, you know, the uh, the calendar flips forward here. We're into the month of October, and uh, I'm just going to, you know, drown my sorrows in suburban every night now for the rest of the fall. <laughs> I hear you, man. I, I feel you. At least uh... – it was a short season to feel that. I mean, you, I don't know what you could have expected this year, to be honest with you. Speaking of not really knowing what to expect, you and I were talking about this before we started recording here with regards to updating our power ratings on a weekly basis. And, you know, we've had some performances at opposite ends of the spectrum for some of these teams. We've seen a lot of volatility in the betting markets for a variety of different reasons. It's never easy to update power ratings because it is an inexact science, but this year with so many external factors, it feels a lot more difficult. Absolutely. A lot more difficult. And and while to me, it's still a starting off point, as far as the handicap goes, typically, you know, I put a lot more emphasis to my power ratings than what I have so far in this college football season. If, If a line's off three, four points, I mean, of course, you know, I'll, I'll start diving into finding out why it is that, but, you know, in other instances where it's almost fire immediately, 
I'm not necessarily the case this year. I, you know, I'm finding myself moving teams up three, four, five points one week, down three, four, five points the next week. I mean, a lot of teams like that. And I, and it's just usually, you know, t- obviously a lot of teams haven't played all, you know, three, four games like we normally see this time of year. But usually by the time October rolls around, I'm not adjusting teams two, three, four, five points after each and every game. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I've always noticed between you and I that are different with our sets of power ratings. And even though I trust my numbers to a degree, I'm, I'm always going to give you the benefit of the doubt as somebody who I feel like is is very good you know, at power ratings, at making those adjustments, stuff like that. There will be games, you know, even deeper into the season where I've got, you know, four, five, six points difference, and you generally don't have more than maybe a game or two where you're more than two, two and a half points off from the market. And, you know, when you're two and a half points off, you fire. When I'm two and a half points off, I kind of wait and sort of see where the market winds up going. And I think that kind of speaks to what's happening this season where I've had some games this week and last week where I've been several points off the market. The lines have generally moved in my direction, so I'm thankful for that. But it is weird to hear you say that you've had, you know, maybe some games that are four, four and a half, five points off. Even, I don't want to say this deep into the season because a lot of teams don't have a lot of data points, but still, it's tough to make those adjustments. It is. And, you know, where's the consistency at for for a lot of these teams? You mentioned Kansas State. I mean, you know, a team that that even their head coach said, I, I don't even know if I could have fielded a team until Friday evening. And then you watch the game, and the first 40 minutes of the game basically plays out as expected. Oklahoma's up three touchdowns, laying four touchdowns, and then boom, bang, I mean, a few turnovers, and you get an outright upset. So uh, inconsistency. And then you look at, like, a Virginia Tech team, ravaged by COVID, couldn't practice, 20-some players out, including their starting quarterback, four assistant coaches out, uh, including their defensive coordinator that's replacing a legend this year, Bud Foster. And yet, you know, boom, bang, 10 minutes in the game at 17 nothing Virginia Tech after the line moves five, six points, and I'm on NC State, I'm feeling good. It's just I, you just shrug your shoulders sometimes at some what's going on right now. It is a challenge. And, and, you know, obviously these players have a lot of things to worry about. You know, I mean, you're not getting that full college athletics experience this year because you're under a lot of strict protocols and, you know, maybe that's having an impact on the players. Maybe, you know, not having to go to class in person at some of these schools, having an impact coaching, obviously having a, a significant impact across the board. It it's tough because, you know, we've talked about this a lot week after week where, if you've got value with your numbers relative to the market number, you want to play it because that's what you do to make money here in this business. But as you said, you start kind of second guessing yourself of why am I so far off from the market? What am I missing? Is there something that I haven't properly accounted for? And I think the one thing that we can rely on, we talked about several of these on Monday is the box score study and looking at some of those misleading scores, looking for regression to the mean, trying to get out in front of some line moves that way. But even still, you know, just the Jekyll and Hyde act for some of these teams is a challenge. Yeah. I mean, box scores are great. So normally I like playing on teams with turnover, you know, problems or from the previous game. Hey, that, that led into some misleading finals. And I usually find value betting on or against that team the following week. But in this year, I got to say like Duke, team I mean, it turns it over four or five times one game turns right around the next game and turns it over seven times georgia tech with a ton of turnovers each and every game you think there's some value on them and yet they consistently turn it over like that that's something you normally don't see in a typical 
a football season, teams turning over at a rate like that consistently week after week. So that was just a, another instance where, you know, this year is a little bit unique where I normally I'm finding value in the box score. Uh, with those particular teams, I'm not, at least so far. Well, and that's the big question, you know, and, and I've posed this question a few times here on the show. And I think, you know, once again, this is another, um, you know, prototypical week to do it is, you know, we expect things to improve. We expect teams to perform, you know, to their expectations. But in this COVID year and with so many things going on, a lot of kids missing practice for one reason or another, stuff like that, I think you do run into this question of how much improvement can we actually expect from one week to the next? And you and I have talked about this a lot already here this morning before we started recording. This Friday night game between Louisiana Tech and BYU we echoed the same sentiments when we were talking before we started recording here that Kyle Hunter and I did on Monday. We have Louisiana Tech and Troy all power rated pretty evenly. Yep. This line is 10 points higher than the line was against Troy last week. And I understand La Tech, you know, short week, you know, going to altitude, stuff like that. Maybe that wasn't factored in enough last week with Troy, but it's not 10 points worth of factoring. But you've got a BYU team here that has looked apart, that has been very impressive that people feel like they can trust. And this line is high. And I think this line does ultimately come down. But this line is high to you. This line is high to me. It was high to Kyle. I'm sure a lot of other people that do power ratings view this line as being too high. And it hasn't moved down yet. And I think that sort of speaks to maybe the hesitance, you know, maybe the uncertainty that we have. But it's, you know, that's just one game on the slate for this week. But it sort of encapsulates so much of what's going on. Absolutely. I, I have my own personal hesitancy and, you know, typically I'd be firing away Louisiana tech bat after bet at plus 24 and, and even some 20, I did see some 24 and a half and they were gobbled up immediately on, on La tech. So maybe well, we're at a point now where, you know, I agree with you. I think it will come down a little bit. Although the, the public's going to get involved on Friday night, betting a football game and they're going to want to lay it with BYU because they just watched them crush a couple of teams. So, uh, maybe it just stays, but but I can tell you from from guys like myself, uh, there is a hesitancy, and I'm I'm seeing it reflected in the market, and especially this week. I other than a few games, haven't seen too much line movement, particularly on the side so far this week. Well, and I think it's interesting too. You know, we talk about the circa openers, and we talk about you know a lot of the closing line value that you've lost because of games that have been canceled. But you've you've hit a lot of those games early in the week. Generally speaking, you've had a lot of success tapping into that market. And you were telling me before we started recording here today that you've played a lot more totals than sides. And I wonder if, you know, either consciously or subconsciously, it just feels like the totals market right now with all the inconsistency that we've already discussed is just an easier market to attack this season. Yeah, I would say at least, you know, obviously I think it's going to hold true in any college football season. Total is going to be a softer market than sides. But usually, you know, when it comes Sunday, I'm firing on a couple of totals that I think are really mispriced in the market. But I really don't do a lot of my totals work until midweek. I love betting on weather. I just don't think the market ever properly accounts for, for weather. So, but, but in this instance, I didn't see a ton of value on the sides. And again, I'm typically, when it comes to Circle World openers, I'm firing away five, six, eight, ten side bets. And it was not the case this week. It was 10 totals and three sides. I bet 13 plays on Circa on Sunday morning, and that was it. And one thing I want to add is with them opening up the limits a little bit, 
Uh, you know, 2K on size, 1K on totals. Uh, market's going to be shaped up a little bit on Sunday, and that's unfortunate for everybody else that isn't betting on Sunday uh, and is waiting until, you know, midweek, game day, whatever. Uh, maybe that's why we haven't seen as much movement uh, so far in the market this week. That Those things are getting shaped up very early. That's unfortunate for 90-plus percent of the people betting out there. Yeah, that's an excellent point because, you know, when you think about the sports betting market as a whole, there are very few originators out there. There are a lot of copycat sports books yeah. that just see what happens in the market, wait for the market to settle in, then go ahead and post their numbers. And we do still get some movement Monday morning as the West Coast crowd kind of gets going a little bit, as there are more options available with the different sports books. But, you know, it's one of those things where there are so few originators and, and there are, you know, there's what you were telling me this before the show, those lines that open up at Circa are maybe there 30 seconds to a minute. Everyone's just kind of preying yeah. on numbers that they expect to open, you know, off market from where they feel they should be. And that's the one thing about this business. And look, I, I will always tell people that getting line value is important. I will always tell people that beating the close is very important. But when you hear these people sit there and proselytize to you, get the best number. One person, maybe two in the entire yeah. world, sometimes get the best number on that game. So it's about getting the best number that you can. Yes. Don't settle for the close. Try to read the market the correct way because, you know, you said, I mean, the market now is being shaped effectively by one sports book that opens globally at Circus Sports, and then other books will kind of maybe shade a little bit towards what they expect to need. But yeah. everyone's just going to copy those numbers, and then we'll see what happens throughout the week. But it, it is tough to get you know, what is perceived to be line value out there nowadays. Absolutely. And I, I want to emphasize what you said. Get the absolute best number that you can, whether that's, you know, shopping around on game day, having a, a bunch of different choices. I mean, that that's the, the, the easiest way to get the best number is to have multiple outs. I mean, what, no matter if you're betting on Monday or you're betting on game day uh, on Saturday or Sunday uh, for college and the NFL, that's the best way to get the best number. But if you are able to bet earlier in the week, having multiple outs and understanding where the market is going to go, I think, I mean, certainly I can give you out a bunch of picks. I can win a bunch one year, lose a bunch one, uh, another year. But I think that is so, uh, that is probably the strongest point I could ever make. And, you, you know, getting the best number that you can and identifying and reading the market and having multiple outs. If you want to become a winning better, that's probably the, the secret to it all. But the unfortunate thing is, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a lot tougher to get those numbers if you got books like Circa, and I'm happy that they do it. But problem is, it's good for me. It's not necessarily good for everybody else. Yeah, but th that is an excellent point, having multiple outs. And it is something like, that I talk about a lot over at ATS.io. And one of the reasons why we have all the sportsbook reviews of all the different places that are out there, half points matter. Five yeah. cents worth of juice matters. It all helps your bottom line. And I know people say, well, there's no value on a losing bet and this and that. But the best indicator that we have of future success is getting the best of the number. It's getting out there, reading the market properly, and giving yourself the best possible chance. Because the fact of the matter is that all we can control is the number that we get. Whatever yeah. happens during that game, we're not playing. You know, we're not out there. We're not making decisions. We're not calling plays. All you can control is is getting the best possible number and having multiple sports books, multiple outs, as they say, is definitely an important part of the process. But, 
you know, that that's something that I, I think a lot of people just have such a hard time grasping is, you know, and, and I saw this, somebody shared, uh, I think it was Andy Molitor at Andy MSFW on Twitter. He's a very good follow, but he shared an article from uh, Pinnacle, one of the, you know, global offshore sports books that said, you know, look, having sports knowledge doesn't necessarily help you when it comes to betting. It, it's the market that you have to understand. Yeah. And that's something I think a lot of recreational bettors just don't really grasp, especially in this new frontier of legal U.S. sports betting. And that's why I've always tried to focus a lot on those types of things with my content, with the discussions that we've had here. And, you know, I just I, I hope as this continues to grow and as it's got more mainstream coverage that, you know, some of the people out there that have the big platforms focus on these things, too. I would hope that's the case, but <laughs> I don't think we're trending in that direction. Uh, Adam, it's all about picks and all about perceived winners and not necessarily about the value. I mean, that's just the world we're going to be living in, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And uh, speaking of value here, a few games we want to talk about on the Week 5 college football card. We will have a few highlight videos coming up for you here. But game 107-108, Brad, is a game that's starting to light up on the board here, a game I'm kind of watching pretty closely because I am a Gamecocks fan by marriage. South Carolina takes on Florida here, and this number was 18, and now we're starting to see a little bit of that South Carolina money leak into the market with a drop down to 17 and a half. We're not talking about key numbers in the double-digit range, but we're starting to see that Gamecocks money show up a little bit. I agree with that. Number, pure number for me, 16 and a half. Uh, obviously, Florida looked very impressive offensively last week. I mean, I'm again... I'll say it, and I'll die on this hill, but I'm not a huge Kyle Trask fan. Although he looked the part last week, but I think the guy that looked the part was a tight end he was throwing it to Kyle Pitts. It was just a matchup nightmare for anybody pretty much in college football. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, South Carolina lost the game against Tennessee, but I I came away and pretty much played out to expectation, uh, expectation as far as the line goes. But I came away impressed, especially offensively. <laughs> I, I thought they were – more than adequate. I mean, they looked like they had a pretty solid game plan. Got got a great guy in Shai Smith at wide receiver. Again, early start, laying a big number with a Florida defense that did give up 600-plus yards against Ole Miss and easily could have given up the back door there. I'm not saying South Carolina's offense is as good as Ole Miss, but I think their defense is better than Ole Miss's. Therefore, I mean, I'm going to bet the Gamecocks here anything above 17. Well, so there's a total for this one, 57, the prevailing number out there, seeing some 57 and a halves. And this total feels like a little bit of a function of last week's Florida game and also the South Carolina game, because we talked about it on the show last week. And we did a highlight video on Monday last week where we talked about betting the under. You know, it was under 48 at the time. Under came down to what, 44, 44 and a half for that yep. game. And it flew over the total, but it was one where there was a lot of under money and the game went over. Florida and Ole Miss, tons of points, tons of yards in that one. 57, 57 and a half is probably a little bit high here for this total. But, you know, again, as we talked about in the open for today's show, there's so much inconsistency offensively, defensively. Maybe the tackling is just bad in college football right now, stuff like that. I'm not going to step in front of it, and it has gone up a little bit. But those are some overreactions you want to keep an eye on as we get more of these SEC data points. Absolutely. I thought the total, the opener was low. I bet it. That was one of the circuit totals bets that I made was over. I think it's 53 and a half. I went over. I made the line 57. That's where it's at now as far as the totals uh, goes. But 
I mean, so, again, it's, it's, just so one, it's not an overreaction. It's just a good adjustment. I think it's just a good adjustment. I don't think it's okay. an overreaction. I mean, overreaction would push it to 60. That would be the overreaction. Maybe we'll see that from the public. Oh, I mean, I just watched Florida put up, you know, a game of 86 points and, Boy, South Carolina, Tennessee was at 58. I mean, boy, do the math there. This total should be in the 60s. Bet over. I mean, that'll be the adjustment maybe on Saturday. But right now, I think it's a proper adjustment at the current number. Did you notice anything tempo-wise with either team last week that, you know, maybe they're playing a little bit faster? No, I didn't tempo-wise, but I thought both were pretty efficient offensively. That that was a surprise for me, how efficient they were with limited practice time and everything that was going on. That Especially South Carolina with a brand-new offensive coordinator and a different scheme, they looked awfully efficient to me, and there was nothing fluky really as far as them getting some yards against a a pretty good Tennessee uh, defense. I guess the most shocking thing to me was how inept Florida's defense was, but maybe chalk it up to Ole Miss is going to be good offensively this year. And, you know, Lane Kiffin had, had a pretty good solid game plan there. Let's stay in the SEC for a minute. Talk about game 115-116 here. Missouri takes on Tennessee. This one's gone up a little bit. Tennessee opened in the 10 range. They're now up to 12, 12 and a half, starting to pop. Even a rogue 13 out there in the marketplace at some places. And these are always interesting games to me. We talked about this last week. Uh, with regards to the Texans, where I wound up taking the Texans against Pittsburgh because I'm like, look, they played Baltimore and Kansas City. Like, Pittsburgh's a good team. Defensively, they're good. But this is a step down for Houston. They played a good first half. I got Bill O'Brien in the second half. Missouri played Alabama last week. Obviously, very, very good team. Number one or number two in pretty much everybody's power ratings. Tennessee played a South Carolina team that I think a lot of people feel is kind of middle of the road. And they... You know, had a pick six. They won that game by four. As you said, kind of played to the expectation, at least from a side standpoint. Do you agree with this Tennessee line going up? I had a 10 and a half. So, I mean, 10, 11, fine with me. With it going up now, I don't. I'm not anxious to bet Tennessee. I certainly uh, don't want a Tennessee ticket right now. I, if anything, if it goes to 13, I'd lean Missouri. And, and reason is specifically what I saw last week. And what I saw was no waving the white flag for Eli Drinkwitz. It was using all three of my timeouts on the final drive against Alabama, going down the field, uh, getting that final score. I mean, that was competing for a whole 60 minutes here. And, and I I thought both of their quarterbacks looked okay considering they're playing a top five defense in the country in Alabama. So uh, I, I just like the fight that they showed last week. So, I, again, I, I don't understand the, the move here towards uh, Tennessee. That's an excellent point about Drinkwitz and about, you know, playing it out. And, and and especially, too, in a game where, I mean, look, these kids aren't idiots. I'm sure they say all the right things before games. But, you know, you're probably not beating Alabama. You know, you're probably not beating Alabama, especially in the season opener. But using timeouts, playing it out. I think that sends a really positive message to your team, especially as a first-year head coach. So while all of us think Tennessee will be better this year because – Jeremy Pruitt's done a fantastic job recruiting there. They started to put something together at the end of last season. I I think that, you know, this may be a spot where there could come a point, and it's probably Saturday, you know, morning with an early kickoff here in Knoxville, that maybe Missouri is the value side. And, you know, those are sometimes the tough bets that you have to take instead of, you know, going with that wisdom of crowds mentality. Absolutely. What I did take, this is another over, I bet. I thought too low opener at at circles like 44, went over. Uh, 
again, I thought both offenses overachieved. And again, a little bit of there was one fluky score, and you mentioned in Tennessee, South Carolina. But again, I the the Missouri fighting, clawing, and scratching until the bitter end. I, I thought forty four was, was too low for an opener. I mean, they're, they're treating some of these SEC games like it's back in you know two thousand and five and not two thousand and twenty. All right, we'll step away from the SEC here for a second. We will come back for a couple of highlight videos here. But I do want to get your thoughts on game 123-124, Oklahoma and Iowa State. Again, another game we talked about on Monday, but one of the things I like to do for any of the new ATS radio listeners out there that didn't transition over from where we were at Bang the Book, I really like to crowdsource opinions and get different thoughts on some of the games, specifically the games that are kind of the marquee matchups here. Oklahoma 7 market wide, total 63, anywhere from 62.5 to 63.5 for this one. Iowa State won really ugly data point against Louisiana, did come away with the win last week against TCU, but it was kind of a game that was sort of all over the place. Oklahoma, I mean, look, you know, maybe maybe Kansas State is just their kryptonite for one reason or another. Maybe. I mean, I, I chalked it up. More fluke things would happen in the final 20 minutes of the game. First 40 minutes of the game. Played to expectation. Oklahoma's up 35-14. I mean, I'm not even watching the game. I'm watching other things that that are more pertinent to my personal betting and also more competitive. And then boom, bang, went within 15, 20 minutes times. I mean, I moved my my main TV over to that game. And it was all about turnovers, block punts. Uh, I mean, Kansas State, certainly in the final four possessions, looked like the better team. But I'm not going to overreact to that one when Oklahoma just had some bad turnovers with a young quarterback. To me, the value, the pure power rating is close to the number. I just think Spot says uh, Oklahoma here off a loss, and I tweeted this out earlier in the week. Oklahoma in the regular season hasn't lost back-to-back games since 1999. Bob Stoops' first season, 1999, last time Oklahoma lost back-to-back. I know we're dealing with a seven-point spread here, but 34-0 and straight up, and also against the spread 23-10-1, covering by nearly double digits per game. I just think it's a good spot for Oklahoma here. I mean, if they close that game out, don't have a couple turnovers against Kansas State, even if they win the game by 14, don't even cover a four-touchdown spread, this line's close to 10. Overreaction, Oklahoma's a play for me. My line is 10 on the game. So I agree with everything that you're saying there, and, and that that's the thing. You know, Oklahoma was minus four in turnover margin. I mean, Kansas State had 10 first downs and scored 38 points. That just doesn't happen. That's yep. why box store study can be pretty important here. And I'm not saying that this line move is necessarily you know, an overreaction to Oklahoma losing or people ignoring the box score or something like that. There were a lot of people that did like Iowa State coming into the year, that do like Brock Purdy, that do yep. like Matt Campbell, that aren't sure about Spencer Rattler. But to me, I think Oklahoma's the play here. And uh, you know, I, I had other things going on. I didn't catch the six and a halfs that were out there. I hope one comes back. I don't know if it will, uh, but you know, I, I do like Oklahoma in this spot for sure. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean, I've watched a lot of Iowa State uh, football now the last four or five games. Uh, I'm not. I'm I'm jumping off the Matt Campbell and Brock Purdy bandwagon. I mean, I still think they're solid, but I'm not. You know, Matt Campbell, I like a little bit more than Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is not getting any better. I think Brock Purdy sucks, actually. <laughs> I mean, he's okay, but he's not getting any better. I mean, he showed, I mean, a lot of flashes of true freshman. Had an okay season last year, but I watched every single play of the Notre Dame game, consistently turned the football over in that one that it cost him, just not good enough. And then, I mean, wasn't good against Louisiana Lafayette, 
And then last week against TCU, I bet Iowa State. I liked Iowa State a lot in that game. I mean, had one of the worst interceptions, uh, pick sixes in the history of college football. You shouldn't be making that throw as a three-year starter. That's He even admitted it. I mean, kudos for him for admitting it. That's a true freshman mistake in their third game as a starter, not your 30th game as a starter. I mean, I, I, it's not getting any better. He's going to have to play out of his mind here to cover the number, in my opinion. Well, and that's the thing about playing Big 12 football is that, look, Iowa State's got a good defense. They regularly have one of the best defenses in this conference, but this is an offense-first conference. So at some point, you got to get offense, and at some point, your quarterback has to develop for you, and Purdy hasn't done that. And and you can point to Iowa State losing some skill guys over the last few years, like a Montgomery, like a Butler, stuff like that, but you know, even a Lazard. But the, the thing of it is, is that you got to get better at the most important position on the yep. field. And Iowa State hasn't done that. And there's only so much you can ask of a defense in these conferences where defense isn't really played because everybody loads up on offense. And I think that's the spot that Iowa State's kind of in right now. Yeah, he's just he's not getting any better. Uh, and look, he, he lo- he's lost some guys at wide receiver. I'll admit to that. But he's got a stud at running back in Brees Hall. He's got a bunch of tight ends. Got Charlie Kohler back last week against TCU. He's one of the better tight ends in the entire country. There's enough there for him to to not look as bad as he has the first couple games of the season. One other game in the Big 12, and then we'll do a a highlight video here for you. But Texas Tech and Kansas State. Kansas State, two-and-a-half-point favorite. Total in the 64 range for this one. And I want to get your thoughts on something specific here. Because one of the things that, you know, I've talked about But as I've gotten older and matured as a handicapper and all of that, I sort of wonder how much this stuff actually matters. Kansas State is in your prototypical letdown spot. They just beat Oklahoma. They won a game they weren't supposed to win, plus four in turnover margin, as we've already discussed. Big fourth quarter comeback, all of that. They're in a letdown spot. Texas Tech blows a huge lead to Texas in just epically bad fashion, loses in overtime. So now you wonder about their mindset going into Manhattan for this game. So you've got some spots in play here. How much of your handicap is is predicated on these spots and how much of it is just looking at team A versus team B or and also your power ratings and determining your pick or you know if you're staying off the game because of that. Yeah, great question. And obviously that that is a spot here for both teams. Texas Tech could be a letdown because they blew a game that they absolutely could have had last week in Kansas State. Obviously, the, one of the biggest upsets we'll see in college football all season, I'm guessing. But I queried it, I mean, because it's the first thing that came to my mind, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it was nothing significant. How did teams do after pulling, you know, three touchdown plus outright upsets? How do they do the next week? And Again, it was close to 50%. Otherwise, I would have put it in my newsletter and wrote it up specifically. Didn't see that, uh, any significance there. Pure power rating for me is four on this game. I I mean, Kansas State, I mean, I think they're very well coached. Uh, Texas Tech's kind of more up and down as far as I'm concerned. I actually trust more Kansas State and their style of play to be more, you know, ready you know even i should say prepared ready yeah so nothing that i bet but i would certainly again just pure power ratings because i think both teams are some questions about their motivation i would lean towards the wildcats Uh, the chris Kleiman versus matt wells thing is is a pretty good conversation too you know you, you sort of wonder about these coaches that move up from the group of five level where 
I mean, look, you know, Utah State had some very, very good quarterbacks. They had some very good players for that conference. Here at Texas Tech, you know, you're probably, what, seventh or eighth on the pecking order relative to the other teams in the conference. So, you know, I mean, that that's something, that's an adjustment period for a lot of these coaches. And, I mean, Chris Kleiman, you know, obviously he's got exceptional talent there at North Dakota State, but he's gone to Kansas State and done what he's supposed to do, and it's worked out really well for him. Yeah, I mean, why eight games last year? I thought he overachieved a, a year ago. And the fact of the matter is beating Oklahoma two years in a row, that's a pretty good feather in your cap. Uh, and, and I thought he inherited a worse situation as far as expectations having to replace a legend like Bill Snyder, a Hall of Famer, one of the best, in my opinion, coaches in the history of college football, than, than you know Matt Wells inheriting a losing program where the expectations probably weren't as high coming off of Kingsbury. And it just hasn't been overly a great look, at least uh, so far here through, uh, you know, 14 games. Well, I think it's a really important point is, you know, sort of when when you talk about, you know, evaluating coaches and sort of evaluating the differences between the coaches, it is a big part of the handicap. And I think in particular here this year, like we talked about at the top of the show, where these teams are very inconsistent. I mean, they're kind of all over the place. A lot of it has to do seemingly with preparation and it always does week in and week out but there isn't a whole lot of crispness to your offense to your defense with the way that all this stuff is set up right now a lot of it is based on preparation and and maybe this is the kind of year and and I'm not going to say that that climate's better than Lincoln Riley or anything like that maybe eventually he could be I don't know if he is right now but I think that is maybe more of a factor that we need to keep in mind here is, is the coaching as this season goes along. Or you're looking for, you know, those coaches, I couldn't get it out out of my mouth, but there isn't a lot of highs and lows, sort of say. It's just, you know, as is, you know, keep at it each and every week. Maybe that's what you're looking for. You know, who knows? Again, I've never handicapped COVID. I thought there's been some really good opportunities to be had. Some have worked out really well. Some haven't. Uh, We're going to learn a hell of a lot more here in the next at least couple weeks. I don't think we got enough data points to make some strong, you know, pound your fist on the table type of uh, arguments here. But this is one where I, I think the reason it's two and a half is that, you know, general handicapping 101 says Kansas State let down. I think people are kind of missing the boat that Texas Tech might have the let down as well. All right, so we'll do a highlight video breakdown here on our ATS YouTube page of game 143-144, Texas A&M and Alabama. Alabama, 18-point favorite. That's the predominant number out there as we're recording here on Thursday, uh, late morning, early afternoon, Eastern time. Total on this game, 51 and a half. And I encourage everyone to listen to the full editions of ATS Radio because this game is a good segue of what we just talked about, handicapping coaching, handicapping the differences between the coaches. And I think when you look at Texas A&M, and I saw this criticism a lot last week, a lot of people like the personnel for Texas A&M in College Station, They like what they're building in terms of the roster. They don't like how Jimbo Fisher is maximizing it. And you better maximize your talent when you take on Alabama. Yeah, you do. Uh, And look, I was also part of that, you know, pro Texas A&M, at least prior to everything that's gone on as far as COVID. But if I were to like circle what's your dark horse national title contender, it would have been Texas A&M. The problem is, and not only what happened in the game against Vanderbilt last week, which I thought was horrific looked and is being overlooked uh, a little bit in the national media because LSU lost and Oklahoma lost. I mean, I, to me, the more stunning result would have been 
A&M losing that game to Vanderbilt. But the, the team just didn't have a, a lot of juice in that opener. Maybe some of it was expected because Alabama's on deck. Or maybe because, and this is my major biggest concern with A&M right now, is they lost four key projected starters, including their leading receiver, one of their best tacklers, a linebacker in the middle, just opted out. And among a lot of these contending teams in college football, if you look at the top 10, 15 contending teams, there weren't a lot of opt-outs. I mean, certainly there was in the Pac-12 and those you know schools where the the, the, the teams weren't going to play this season. That's understandable. But if you look at the contenders in the SEC, the ACC and whatnot, not a lot of opt-outs. A&M had some opt-outs. To me, what's going on in that program? A team that's expected to at least make a run for it this year and they're opting out, that's not a good look. And what also isn't a good look here, Adam, is – Former Nick Saban assistants against Nick Saban. Nick Saban's never lost against a former assistant. He's 19-0. and 0. Yeah, and, and he's probably not going to lose this week, certainly as no, the line would imply. The, the thing for Texas A&M is this, and, and this has been a problem for Jimbo Fisher dating back to Florida State, and it was one of the things that really helped lead, I would say, to Florida State's, I'm going to call it a demise, you know, as a, a national power program. The offensive line play has not been good. It just, it has not been good under Jimbo Fisher, regardless of which team he's been coaching for the last several years. And again, if there is one thing that you can ill afford to have against Alabama, it's a bad offensive line because they will eat you alive. So my power ratings on this game are actually a little bit lower than what the market has. I think there could be a slight overreaction to A&M's performance against Vanderbilt, maybe trying not to show anything, stuff like that. But the reason why power ratings can't be a be-all, end-all, despite how much we talk about them here, is that the matchup still matters. And the matchup for A&M here in this game does not look good. It's, it's that simple to me. It is. And similar to you, power ratings say A&M's a player. 15 is where I have it. But not only the matchups worry me, but the mindset of Alabama. I don't know if you've heard Saban talk. He is pissed off what happened in that final 10 minutes of the Missouri game last week. I, you know, Saban usually slows things down. He has a, you know, a history of doing that the last 10 years. I, you know, there's a few years there where he had two capable quarterbacks with Hertz and, and Tunga Bailoa that it didn't matter what he was doing offensively. They were just scoring. I think this week, if he has an opportunity to put one on Jimbo, uh, he, there, there's going to be no let up on defense or offense. So again, I could only bet Alabama, even though my numbers disagree with it. Yeah, I got this from 15 and a half. So, you know, I mean, it opened, what, the global opener at Circa was 13 and a half, I think. I didn't get it. I mean, here's a, I didn't even get it. Within two minutes, it was, I, it was down further on the card. I didn't grab it. So that shows you even a guy like me couldn't even get that 13. But still, I guess what I'm saying here is that, you know, you and I fall between the opening number and where the number sits now. and. Yeah. Again, I think that there are just matchup advantages for Alabama here. I will say this, and it's not just because you and I have lower numbers, but just simply that this is a pretty big number now. I don't know if there's a great opportunity to bet pre-flop on this game, but I think this is a game, much like what we talked about last week when we discussed live betting, if you see that Alabama is doing what they want and A&M can't protect the quarterback, Alabama live is your play here. Yep, totally agree.
Uh, again, and, and let me say, I can only look to, towards Alabama right now. I'm not saying that there's value at the current number. I'm just saying my mindset, I don't want, even though my numbers are off three points, I don't want anything to do with A&M. And again, I think this might be one where you see more of the same. I mean, I go back to, yeah, I'm dating myself, but it's four or five years ago. There was a game where, I mean, he just put it on A&M like 59 nothing. I'm not saying it's going to be 59 nothing here, but I, it, Saban's mindset this week, is he's going to want to put one on A&M after what happened against Missouri. So I think live Alabama looks pretty good to me. Well, no consensus pre-flop on this game, but some good handicapping advice and some handicapping tips here from myself, host Adam Burke, and also professional better and handicapper Brad Powers. Subscribe to our ATS YouTube page, and make sure you subscribe to ATS Radio as well, which you can get on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, with that, Brad, we'll take a little bit of a breather here before we do our next highlight breakdown. And I want to talk about this Ole Miss-Kentucky game because I know you liked Kentucky last week against Auburn. And quite frankly, (laughs) for the most part in that game, they were the right side, but they ran into turnovers and Auburn converted the short fields in the fourth quarter. Ole Miss gives up a boatload of yards and points to Florida. Kentucky, five and a half, six-point favorite here. Total on the rise, 59 and a half up to 61 and a half. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, numbers say slightly in Kentucky. You're right. I liked Kentucky quite a bit last week watching it. I mean, they were having their way at the line of scrimmage, just like I thought. And just, I mean, turnovers are, I mean, that is the statistic. I mean, you can give me anything, you know, first downs, yards, rushing, anything. Give me the turnovers. And when you're minus three, and you consider that you know all turnovers are not actually created equal. You talk about how impactful they were. Two of the turnovers were inside the Auburn red zone, including the interception, uh, whatever happened at the end of the half there, which was a total, I mean, just discombobulation. I mean, I honestly expected some SEC officials to get fired uh, after what happened at the end of the first half in the Kentucky-Auburn game. But besides that, something that's not even in the box score as far as a turnover, a failed fake punt set up Auburn for a 27-yard TD drive. Should have won the game. All right, forget covering the spread. But usually that signifies, hey, value. I want to bet on Kentucky this week. I'm not that anxious. I liked what I saw with Ole Miss. I thought Matt uh, Corral, their quarterback, looked very capable for Ole Miss. I know a lot of people, including myself, like Plumley, the who looks like he's the backup now, but Corral looked like he fit in that Lane Kiffin offense really well. It is mobile still, but throwing for nearly 400 yards. I didn't see much value here. If it went to seven, I'd actually bet Ole Miss. All right, we got another highlight video breakdown for you here. Another game from the SEC on this edition of ATS Radio. Take a look at game 153-154, Auburn and Georgia. Six and a half, the prevailing number market-wide. Total of 45 on this game, which I know the Circa opener was very, very low uh, on the Auburn and Georgia game. I know a (laughs) lot of people jumped on that one, piggybacked that number up quite a bit, but uh, let's start with the side here for this game. Georgia, again, six and a half point favorite. Auburn, you know, you had some questions about them last week. Do you have those same questions this week going to Athens? I do have the same questions. Uh, again, I thought Kentucky controlled the line of scrimmage. I think Auburn's offensive line will really struggle against this Georgia defense. Uh, you know, I thought Bo Nix still played pretty well. They got a stud at wide receiver in Williams that, that, that basically on two third and longs, basically four-point plays, snatched the ball, 
uh, on basically 50-50 balls in the end zone to, to get a couple touchdowns. So impressed in that regard. We'll see <laughs> totally different defense here. I, I think Georgia's elite misleading final would normally, to me, Adam, say scream value on Georgia. But Georgia's game was a little bit misleading. I mean, if you've looked, if you're following along with live scores, middle of the third quarter, uh, just trailing Arkansas 10 to 5. And there was really nothing fluky other than bad quarterback play for Georgia. They put in Stetson Bennett, who I really like. I've seen him play in a couple of spring games. I think he's a gamer. Uh, he's not going to, you know, lead you to the national title, but you can win some games in the SEC with him. Uh, and starts, and there's some scoring there, including a defensive return. But now it looks like JT Daniels might play. We're not for certain if he's going to start, how much he's going to play. Kirby Smart's really buttoned up about it this week. So there's question marks there. Uh, I bet Auburn plus – I bet two things on this at Circa. I bet Auburn plus eight. Uh, I just – I didn't know about the JT Daniels situation at that point, so I thought eight was too high. And then I did bet the over. That was way too low with two teams that are going to run some tempo. And Georgia was running tempo. Even though they weren't efficient, they were running some tempo early in that game against Arkansas. Right now, I mean, six and a half is a tough number. I, I guess I would lean Georgia minus six and a half, even though I have an Auburn plus eight ticket. Number for me is right, right around seven. So I know everybody wants to bet it. It's a game of the week. It's the biggest game we've had in college football this season today. But I don't see at the current numbers too much value. Too many question marks, uh, too many questions and answers for me. I do see a little bit of value on Georgia, at least relative right. to my numbers. I've got this one up in double digits. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're grabbing plus eight. You think it's a good numbers grab. It's not necessarily, you know, a strong position on the game for you. It's a numbers grab. You got through a key number with this one going down to six and a half. Again, as we talked about earlier in the show, that's all you can do is get the best yep. of the number that you can. So I get Georgia minus six and a half. You get Auburn plus eight. And I think both of us are pretty comfortable with the numbers that we have. You know, I don't know which one of us winds up winning the game, but I think under seven, there is some value on this Georgia team. Auburn, you know, you talked about the concerns you had with them last week. You know, you've got First of all, I, Bo Nix is fine. I, I don't think he's a great quarterback by any means. And I know going on the road is a little bit different now. And Kentucky's got a good defense. I'll give them credit for that. But Georgia is a fast defense. Georgia yeah. will play with that tempo. So, you know, they may be able to gas that Auburn defense a little bit. If Auburn doesn't stay on the field, that's how this game probably gets away from them. And they did lose, you know, some key defensive linemen last year in the draft. They lost some other guys on defense due to graduation and other things. I think this is a good situation for Georgia. But again, it speaks to getting the best of the number. Even though we're on opposite sides, we can both respect the positions because you're north of seven, I'm south of seven, and that's all that we can really do and then see how the game plays out. And let's hope it lands seven. That'd that be good. Happy, yeah, right? I'm happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. All, all our Tiger fans. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's definitely true. And, and that's all That's all you ever get in the comments for these things, too. You get the hate comments from, uh, oh, from yeah. the team. War Eagle, you idiot. How could you go against – oh, my God. How could you go against Auburn? They're going to kill them. I mean, in, that's SEC fans. In, in fairness, I mean, I was dead wrong on the Miami-Louisville game earlier, and we took a lot of flack from Miami fans, and they were absolutely right, so I give them credit for that. Uh, but this should be a good one here. I haven't – the comments are really that bad? I haven't really oh. looked into them yet. No, I get enough bad comments on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I don't know why you have a Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen the things people say to you. I don't know why you have a Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's it's entertaining. Let's just put it that way. 
Definitely. And it's very entertaining here on our ATS YouTube page as well with this breakdown of Auburn and Georgia. And of course, make sure you subscribe to the full versions of ATS radio, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right. With that, let's transition over to the NFL side of things here, Brad. And something you and I wanted to talk about is kind of a general topic before looking at some individual games. Totals are uh, pretty high across the board here this week. Yeah, so I mean, the average total is like 50, 50 and a half. I got it. I haven't done all the legwork, but I mean, that's got to be historic as far as the NFL, looking at the the average week by week throughout the course of the history of it. But when your average total is 50, 50 and a half, that's pretty significant. It's just not one game. Uh, it's multiple games in the mid-50s and teams that you don't even consider to be, you know, pure over teams. You're dealing with a lot of mid-50s numbers. Obviously, scoring's been up in the NFL, and there's all these theories. I think a lot of them are right. The penalties, it's getting officiated totally different. I think that plays into it. No crowd noise, I think, certainly helps the offense. They can hear the the, the audibles and the adjustments and whatnot. Uh, it's not going to – I think a lot of enthusiasm and crowd noise impacts and helps the defense more than it does the offense. That makes sense to me, so – I mean, scoring's up four points per game, and if you've been betting overs blindly, you're winning. I'm not sure you're going to win at the same percentage this week because, to me, the adjustment has been made. These totals, uh, you know, are up four or five points per game on average than what I think we would have saw if these games were played week one. I mean, I'm not going and saying, hey, there's a lot of value on the under, and I'm not betting a ton of unders this week. But if you're looking to bet a lot of overs, I just want to make this point. You are now paying a premium on that over, or at least it's certainly much better represented in the marketplace. Well, another good point from Kyle Hunter on Monday was he mentioned that the pace, the tempo in the NFL has gotten a good bit quicker for this season, Mm. too. Teams are moving a little bit faster here this year. And I can't really confirm this. And maybe this is something I should have looked up before I say this, because you know, there's uh, there's nothing quite like being wrong in front of several thousand people. But the thing I was kind of thinking about is that maybe I wonder if third down to go yardage is a little bit lower this year, too, because it feels like we're getting a lot more usage in the passing game with running backs and tight ends and these shorter passing routes. A lot of the college offensive hallmarks making their way to the NFL now because a lot of quarterbacks can complete those throws. I sort of wonder if we're just in general, you know, getting fewer of those third and long situations because quarterbacks aren't having as many incompletions, taking deep shots or, you know, whatever else. Seems like we're finding more mismatches of running backs against safeties, running backs against linebackers, stuff like that, to where teams are just kind of consistently moving forward a lot more than they used to with, you know, incomplete passes or, you know, runs for stops behind the line of scrimmage, stuff like that. And also, on to piggyback off of that, you know, I don't follow it like some people do, but the guys that do follow the analytics say it's playing a lot more uh, into the NFL. Maybe not all the teams, but a lot more teams are embracing the analytics going forward uh, on fourth down and whatnot. We're seeing more of that, and obviously that leads to more efficiency and more scoring. So all the above on why the NFL scoring is up. And I'll tell you, if it continues, I mean, the overs turn around and go like 10 and 6, 11 and five this week i what are we gonna see some totals in the 60s i think we probably will and that's an excellent point about teams being more aggressive too because even if they don't get it 
we're talking about situations where teams used to punt. So that's 20, yeah. 25, 30 yards worth of field position with that change of possession. So that's an excellent point that you mentioned there too. And again, it maybe it's something from a live betting standpoint that you can kind of look to take a little bit of advantage of. But we talk about high-scoring games, and tonight we probably won't have one between <laughs> Denver and the Jets. And I hate to do this to you, but we haven't really talked about this game at any other juncture on ATS Radio this week. Jets minus one, Brett Rippon gets the start for Denver. Total 40 and a half, 41 in that range. Uh, what, do, what do you do with what could be a complete <laughs> utter train wreck tonight? I go under. Uh, I mean, I just, I can't really bet each side. Obviously, the Jets plus three is a really good bet. I mean, from Utah closing line, we'll see if it wins or not. But, I mean, that's one where just missed the boat there. Um, you know, shame on me for not giving that out is probably because I was so down on the Jets after their performances the last couple of weeks. But to me, at the current numbers, the only thing I can play, shop around, bet, you know, go under 41. I want to ask you about the first game on the board for Sunday here quickly. Indianapolis and Chicago, 251-252. Chicago, you know, steals victory from the jaws of defeat. They go to Nick Foles. Atlanta goes into the prevent defense, which not only prevents them from covering, but winds up preventing them from winning the game. Chicago is a, I would say, fraudulent 3-0 team. That probably will upset some people. But, you know, I mean, they, they they've had they've had fourth-quarter comebacks in two of their three wins. Detroit was just ravaged by injuries. And then, of course, you know, you get the situation here. So Indianapolis only laying two and a half here this week. And yet something about that line doesn't smell right to me. I'd lean Chicago. I think you get a one-game bump uh, with Foles. Uh, some excitement. I'm not buying Chicago long-term, but I would lean them in this way. But you're right. I still think they're fraudulent. Not only what's happened. I mean, they're the first team in the history of the NFL to have two come-from-behind wins in the fourth quarter of 16 points. And, hell, they did it two times in a matter of three weeks. And nobody had ever done it in a full season before. So, I mean, the fact that they've played the teams that are combined one and eight and the way that game flow fraudulent Indianapolis, I mean, looks, I mean, looks good. Box scores look dominant. Defense is number one in the NFL, but they haven't played anybody either. Uh, I mean, their teams are combined one and eight. So I would just lean Chicago. Here's what I did play. And I really like, I like under, I mean, Indianapolis does have, a decent defense. You got to give them credit. I mean, you can only play the teams in front of you, but they've been relatively consistent. I mean, Chicago, there's been a lot of that late scoring in the fourth quarter of their games. I think some of that you can take out. So, uh, and then maybe some weather. Uh, I was tipped off by a couple guys that uh, that's all they do is study weather uh, under, I think is pretty good here. And I bet it and I released it. All right, so we'll do a highlight video breakdown here of game 273-274 between New England and Kansas City. Kansas City laying a touchdown total 53 in this game. And this is the the marquee game of week four, I would say. And you've got such an interesting scenario here because Kansas City just completely dismantled arguably the best team in the AFC in Baltimore. And now Kansas City probably leapfrogs Baltimore in the minds of anybody who was either undecided or or like the Ravens a little bit more, they just played a team where you want to try to contain the quarterback, where you want to try and keep that guy in the pocket in uh, Lamar Jackson. Now you get Cam Newton. So Kansas City, do they really have to change anything with the game plan this week? And does that help them covering as a touchdown favorite? Now, did you bury the lead? Didn't we do a highlight video on that Ravens-Chiefs game? 
We did. And as I recall, I was on the Chiefs. You were. You were on the Ravens. I was. I know it's your show, but I just want to, you know, put that out there. That's for fine. Everybody, everybody watching and, and listening to this. I mean, I was on the Chiefs, obviously, good bet, or whatever. I'm against the Chiefs. I know it's so tough to go against a team that was so dominant against a really good Baltimore team that I think, you know, player for player might have the deepest roster. But I would be kicking myself all season if I didn't take Bill Belichick in a role that's only happened now three times, counting this game, three times in the last 18 years, and that's Bill Belichick getting a touchdown. It's only happened two other times. Of course he covered both of those. I, I got to take the full touchdown here. And I do, I think New England's really good. And I think, you know, I think people are starting to, to see it a little bit more now. Uh, but I'm wondering, I think one yard is changing their entire perception. What would the perception, would this line be seven if they gain one extra yard and win the game against Seattle and Cam Newton scores a touchdown? I don't think it's seven. I think it's, it's six, six and a half. So I'll play on that one yard, which I played the last week in a really good spot for him. And with Kansas City off a big marquee game with one day less to prep, I'm going to take New England, and I also lean under. I think they run the damn football, keep Mahomes off the field, similar to what we saw the Colts do last year against the Chiefs. And I think New England's capable of running the ball. He's ran for 250 yards in an NFL game last week. So I think there's correlation here, New England and under. I like it. Are you sprinkling the money line, too? I am a little bit. Man, Atta I boy. Hate, I, look, I love Mahomes and Reed. I mean, what, it's now 12 straight wins, 11 covers. Should not be happening for a team as high profile as the Chiefs. But I, I, I love Belichick. Belichick, to me, is, I mean, that's just like going back home. I just, I mean, 17 years of consistent winning, covering in an historic role. I got to take the full touchdown. And then, I mean, of course, what will happen is, you know, it'll look good early and Mahomes, two, three quick touchdowns. Boom, bang, it's 38-21. I lose both bets. What is what is your criteria for sprinkling the money line in the NFL? I mean, do, do you always do it with a dog that you like, or is it just uh, in certain situations? Yeah, you know, obviously dogs that I like in the field goal range, I do it, you know, quite a bit. Uh, touchdown dogs, not not as much. In this instance, where I think there could be some variance here, and it is, you know, betting someone that that's very trustworthy in my opinion, Belichick, I'm more prone to do it. But typically, I'm not betting money line on a lot of my touchdown plus dogs that I bet. Well, good thoughts there on this game from professional better and handicapper Brad Powers and always good thoughts on our ATS YouTube page and very good thoughts on ATS radio as well. We encourage you to subscribe to that wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, Brad, before we finish up today's show, anything else in the NFL you want to touch on? Ooh, uh, I thought it was a tough – I mean, you and I talked before. But it a tough week, I think, this week. I, I struggled a little bit, uh, both college and pro. One I do really like, and I, I'm – look, I'm a man of the people. I mean, you guys want picks. I'll give you picks. I like – my favorite play in the NFL this week is Miami against Seattle. I mean, you're going to lay a touch near a full touchdown on the road with the worst defense as far as giving up yards per game in the entire NFL – 
in a bad spot off two primetime marquee wins over New England and Dallas, flying across the country, 10 a.m. Pacific start time against a Miami team that I think is okay. I mean, they proved it last week in the road win against Jacksonville. Extra time to prepare for them. Fits, I think it's not fits tragic. It's fits magic. You're talking about me sprinkling on the money line. I would not be stunned. Forget the plus six and a half. I wouldn't be stunned. Miami shocks the world. Not me. The world. Miami outright over the Seahawks. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but did you know that Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard? <laughs> yeah. You I knew that? So I... Yeah. <laughs> 15 years. One thing I will say here is that it looks like there's uh, wind and rain in the forecast on Sunday down in Miami. So we'll see if that winds That's up another having... positive for me. I mean, what? I mean, Russell Wilson, come on. He can't be on. Can he be on like that every game? I don't know. Maybe. He's great. But Ask he's Sierra. Sierra will tell you. <laughs> Touche. I, I don't. I mean, that's the thing, right? I, you know, you start talking about these guys that set the bar really effing high, and they do it week after week, and and you do wonder. I mean, at some point, that guy's got to have a game that's kind of pedestrian, right? Maybe it's this one. He you don't can't go and... throw five touchdown passes, and we never see it. Maybe he can, but I mean, I think he's due for a two touchdown pass game instead of a five. And if nothing else, if you're worried about the full game, and maybe Seattle starts faster, but again, early kickoff, so that is a concern. It's going to be the mid eighties and humid, and that's not a situation Seattle's all that accustomed to either. No. So I like it. Yeah, I like it too. I all right. Let me ask you real quickly about a, a couple of these games here because we've got two thirteen-point underdogs in the NFL this week: Baltimore, Washington, Giants on the road at the Rams. 13 is a really large number in the NFL, and I have no interest in either one of them. So I'm glad you asked this question. And we didn't even prepare for this. So this is me already thinking. I'm like, you know, historically, it is a loser. Double-digit road favorites. So we're talking a Baltimore game in this instance. Double-digit road favorites, long-time loser in the NFL, 47% since 1989. Not the case the last four years. 16 and 2 against the spread the last four years. And I mean, winning these games by 23 points per game, covering by 11 points per game. They've won 18 in a row, 16 and 2 against the spread. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to bet Baltimore, but because of that, the way that trend line's going, and I know it's a smaller sample size, but again, with more plays, more analytics, uh, and I think Baltimore coming off a loss, I'm not betting Washington. The Rams, it's just not. Double-digit road favorites, it's double digits everywhere. And, you know, you go the last six years, 62% double-digit favorites in the NFL. I mean, I, normally it's always dog or pass. I'm, a, I'm no longer dog or pass. It's mainly just pass for me when it comes to these. I should be betting the favorite. I guess the one caveat I would throw on that is that a lot of those are probably late in the season where teams are, you know, kind of folding it Ooh, in a little bit. But, but also, too, I mean, I think Washington battles. I, the Giants, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the hell they do the rest of the year without Saquon Barkley. I bet them last week. That, them, I mean, that was so good. You mean, weren't the only pre-season one. Preseason team. A pre, the 49ers trotted out a preseason team and whipped their ass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you trust the Giants here this week, but again, 13's a, a pretty <laughs> massive number there for a Rams team, not in a real great spot either. You know, coming off of, Losing a game that they probably shouldn't have. That P.I. call was very iffy against Buffalo. The big comeback in the second half. Now they go back home in a spot where they're supposed to roll. Sometimes, 
you know, it, it's hard when you're supposed to beat a team by margin to get up for that game. Yep. So we'll see if the Rams are able to do that in that one, in that new SoFi Stadium, which, by the way, looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and I can't wait to see some bigger events there uh, down the line in that stadium and also see, you know, fans at, at things again. But in any event, professional handicapper and better Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. What's going on over at the website right now, buddy? Talk about it each week. It's my newsletter. Game write-ups, every single college game, every single NFL game. I I always say this, and I'll say this to the day I die. Buy it for the info, not for the picks, but I get it. Everybody wants picks. Picks are winning. 10 and 6, 62.5%. I mean, that doesn't sound great. It's a short sample size, but, I mean, 57% over six years, that's not too bad. I wish I put a hell of a lot more money on all these games. If I had to do it, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I would have done it. But, again, buy for the info, not for the picks. Power rings, write-ups, college, pro. Get it now, 79 bucks for the entire season, college and pro. Over at bradpowersports.com. And make sure you follow Brad on Twitter, at Brad Powers and the number seven. By the way, I don't know how many people do this, but you can follow me on Twitter, too, at Skating Tripods. But, Brad, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. And uh, the headset looks good on you, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, buddy. There you go. There's professional handicapper and better Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. I'll be back on Friday with my picks, if I can figure out five of them, for week four in the Circus Sports Million. Nine, five, and one to start the year. And uh, coming off of a disappointing two and three week, hopefully get a bounce back here in week four. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. The football season is here, and you can track the latest news, odds, and information at betonline.net. And while stadiums won't be full, game action will be loaded. Which players will step up to lead their team? Is there still a home field advantage? Will offense or defense dominate these early weeks of the season? Follow along at betonline.net as the top teams in football begin their journey to Tampa. Available online or your mobile device. Check out the site today. Bring the game home at betonline.net. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Join us again next time when we will be back with more tips, techniques, and cheats to achieve the rewards that you deserve. Thank you so much for your time today. And please, set your podcatcher so that you never, ever miss us. Bye for now, and thanks so much for listening.